0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is August 5th, 2022, and I'm joined today by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews, and by our longtime friend, John Fund. Uh, John is an author of multiple books. He's a columnist for National Review and for foxnews.com, and he is the author of the new book, Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. Uh, John, that topic alone is going to sell a bunch of books, I think.
1: Well, I've been writing about our election insecurity and election integrity for 25 years, and ever since the Bush v. Gore race uh, decided the presidency by 541 votes in one state, Florida. And of course, the Supreme Court got involved and it was controversial uh, even to this day. And for 20 years, I wrote about it and didn't get much attention. And then lo and behold, the 2020 election came around and uh, it was on everyone's lips and everyone is talking about it. Unfortunately, not everyone is, uh, I think, talking responsibly about it or even uh, acknowledging that there's a problem. So I have critics on both the left and the right who say I've missed the mark. But the advantage of my book, I do think there were real problems in the 2020 election. I think we have to address them. I think we've started to in many states, including Texas. But the real problem is uh, if we don't learn from the 2020 election, we're condemning ourselves to in the next close election having um, a real angry, prolonged, uh, polarizing dispute. And that's not good for the country, whether you're left, right, or in the center. And I think that, while some of the things said about the 2020 election don't bear up under scrutiny, enough does bear up under scrutiny that we have to address it. We have the sloppiest election systems of any industrialized democracy. So sometimes the sloppiness is so large that you can't tell where it ends and where the actual fraud might begin. And we have to recognize that and address it. And if we don't, uh, we're, as I said, We're doomed to repeat our our historical mistakes.
2: John, Tom and I have not been we've never believed that the election was stolen, but that doesn't mean there weren't a lot of problems. And you could see some of the problems being developed as you as you as we move towards the election with a number with the pandemic there, a number of states. Uh, either passing legislation or just in some some cases imposing various things here in Texas you had Houston decided to drive uh, to create a sort of a drive-through voting process that the state had to end up shutting down because it wasn't uh, uh, allowed under our law uh, what do you see as some of the problems that are that that were leading up to the election
1: well in march and april of 2020 As soon as COVID hit, we were told, well, what this means is we're going to have to all vote by mail in the November election. Uh, There's just going to be too much uh, public anxiety. Uh, There'll be too many people who will be scared to vote. So we're all going to have to vote by mail. So in almost all cases, I think with two exceptions, Nevada and New Jersey, all of the states that changed their COVID voting rules did so unilaterally either through an emergency order of the governor or through an emergency order by a health commissioner who of course is not elected. And that created real problems in New York. You had uh, chaos. You had um, uh, basically county clerks that were overwhelmed with uh, mail-in ballots. It resulted in a congressional race that was decided by 109 votes and it took four months to decide who Mm -hmm. was going to be seated in Congress Uh, all over the country. You had people voting by mail for the first time, and yet the rejection—and normally that creates people making mistakes the first time they do something—but rejection rates for mail-in ballots plummeted. In Georgia, they plummeted from about one percent to almost nothing, and that's because there were so many mail-in ballots came that come in that a lot of people simply waved them through. Signature verification was a joke. Uh, Some states where the verify signatures by an electronic device that compares the signature on file with the signature on the ballot. They turned down the level of scrutiny so much that basically every ballot made it through. In Nevada, you had ballots sent out to every person who had been on the voter rolls, even though it's clear that in most states, 20 percent of the voters aren't, valid, aren't eligible anymore. They're dead. They've moved out of state. They never existed in the first place uh, or they're ineligible. And that created, in the states that were really close, uh, serious problems. We don't know exactly uh, how the votes were counted. We don't know exactly how the votes were verified. So you have Arizona, you have Nevada, you have Georgia, you have Wisconsin, you have Pennsylvania. There were problems in each of them. In Pennsylvania, the state Supreme Court decided on its own to go against all precedent and law and declare that... My gosh, if a ballot arrives by Friday after the election, it doesn't need a postmark. If it arrives by Friday after the election, that creates an enormous invitation to potential fraud and mischief. Uh, In Wisconsin, you had more drop boxes that were mentioned. The state Supreme Court recently threw that out, saying those drop boxes were set up uh, without the ability to meet state law. Uh, They were illegal when they were used, and we're finally getting around to saying that. Um, in other states in Georgia, you documented cases of people who were college students who were voting in two states, people who were dead, people who sent in registrations that were in, uh, ineligible. And a lot of these court cases that were brought, of course, were frivolous. Trump didn't have the proper evidence or the analysis. But the, the court case that I think had the strongest uh, evidence behind it was the one in Georgia, which talked not about computer manipulation, which is highly speculative, but it talked about dead people and other people who shouldn't be voting voting. That case never got a proper hearing. It was delayed in Fulton County, which is Atlanta's court system. They finally got a hearing in a neighboring county where they moved the venue for January 6th. Well, January 6th, of course, was the day not only of the right in the Capitol, it was the day when the electors electoral count was confirmed by Congress. So that never got a proper hearing so i'm not saying that joe biden didn't win the presidential election i am saying that we created a very polarizing climate and a very angry electorate and people who don't trust the system and if they don't trust the system that is a threat to our democracy and something that we need to address we need to have people who will peacefully and calmly accept the election result and say we live to fight another day we don't want to present a situation that is murky unclear or filled with irregularities and discrepancies that people fight over
0: john you have been writing about this for years as you say and one of the things that i think anybody who has been paying attention to voting systems you know prior to 2020 is aware of this fact that, that generally speaking, counties and states do a very poor job of purging their voter rolls. And so that's how you end up with huge numbers of people who are dead or have moved out of state. And there seems to be very little effort to actually uh, maintain the data and to make, make maintain the data quality for election rolls and things like that. And it sounds like You're suggesting that that was one of the problems in Georgia. Did Georgia address that when they did their election reform law?
1: Yes, Uh, Georgia, Arizona, other states have done that. But the problem is even bigger than you suspect, Tom. Uh, The numbers that almost 20 percent of voter registrations are no longer valid or uh, involve eligible voters isn't my number. It's that from the Pew Research Center, one of the most respected middle of the road think tanks in the country. Um, you know, the, the Help America Vote Act, which was the last bipartisan piece of legislation we had to clean up our elections, said we want to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. And there were two sides to that coin. One was, you know, we have these postal uh, postcards where you can register to vote in any state just by filling out a postcard. And on the other hand, the states have the requirement to go through the registrations after every election to make sure that they're clean and that the list is accurate. Well, for the last 20 years, in almost all cases, the federal government has abandoned its role in that. Uh, It it said, well, we're going to provide you new money for better voting machines, better systems, but you have to clean up your voter rolls. Many of the states have refused to do so. California hasn't cleaned up its voter rolls in 25 years. Los Angeles County, a population of 10 million, uh, there were 1.6 million people on the voter rolls that weren't eligible or had moved away or had died. And finally, Judicial Watch, which is a, a watchdog legal defense fund, finally had to sue Los Angeles, force them into a consent agreement, and they only started purging voters from the rolls who were ineligible just before the 2020 election. It's astonishing. 1.6 million ineligible voters still on the rolls in a county of 10 million. And every one of those people was getting a ballot in the mail. And anything could have happened to that ballot. Could have been filled out by someone else. It could have been collected. Could have had been uh, filled out by someone who was under undue influence by a spouse or an employer or a union. Uh, anything can happen. You know, I believe that we should have some voting before an election for convenience sake and for people who, you know, are bedridden or out of town. But we can we cannot go against the spirit of our laws, which call for an election day, not an election month. And that's effectively what we had in the 2020 election.
2: John, we've got 50 states, we've got Washington, D.C., and we've got several territories and they all run their own elections. Tell us, are, are there some states out there that do it really well?
1: Well, the Heritage Foundation has come up with a new rating system uh, to look at all of the states and see um, who has struck the best balance between access to the polls and safeguards against election manipulation or fraud. And uh, Georgia, actually, its new laws put in in the number one slot. And there are other states that are doing very well. Uh, Ohio would be one of them. Um, States like... um, Arizona, and Florida. The 2000 election in Florida. Uh, especially because they were forced to clean up their voting rolls after the NBA election election. Uh, some states are dismal. Hawaii, California, New York. Uh, but, you know, the voters, you know, whenever they're consulted, they recognize that this is a problem. New York State, the Democratic legislature, put on the ballot last November, just a few months ago, three ballot propositions that they wanted to pass in order to make it much easier to uh, have a large voter turnout and to expand mail elections. One was a ballot initiative to make it much easier to gerrymander the state um, in the congressional and legislative lines. The other was to make it much easier to create a mail-in voting system. And the other was to basically uh, get rid of affidavits and other safeguards to make sure that people were only voting once the voters rejected all three of those in New York State, which is a state that Joe Biden carried by 25 points. So voters do care about this, even in deep blue states. But what was the response after the 2020 election uh, to the problems that we saw? Well, on the one hand, you know, I have to say President Trump's lawyers or the new lawyers that he hired temporarily, whether it was Rudy Giuliani or Sidney Powell or Lynn Wood, did a horrible job. They basically engaged in speculation. I think they undermined their own cause. They were throwing out every possible theory, uh, even though it didn't hold up in court. And on the other side, the Democrats pretended that there was no fraud, no irregularities, no nothing to worry about. Those aren't the issues you're looking for. And they tried to jam through Congress this one-size-fits-all nationalization of our election system, where the 50 states that Merrill pointed out, have the power right now to run their own election systems, that would have been taken away from them by Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. And almost every Democrat uh was going to vote for a filibuster to jam that through. And luckily, Kristen Cinema of, of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia stood up and said, no, we're not going to filibuster allow a filibuster. Uh, to be uh, negated on this,
2: you know, John. The uh, I had a piece in the Hill here a couple of weeks ago where I looked at voter turnout that we've seen in primaries so far. Just given the fact that Democrats have said there's voter suppression out there, they've done. You know, Joe uh, Joe Biden was saying this is uh, Jim Crow 2.0 and other things. Some of the ele- election integrity laws that were passed, and it was just interesting. I was looking at some of the primaries that had already occurred and uh, and those states that were being accused of voter suppression i looked at texas georgia and iowa and they've they've had had, had actually record turnout for midterm primaries and then i looked at uh, new york um illinois and california new york had just had one for the uh, for the governor's race and then there's illinois and uh, california and they had a uh, very low turnout and it was just interesting that doesn't prove that voter suppression was not uh, it, it doesn't really make a, a prove anything there, but it was just interesting that those states that engaged in election integrity had very high turnout, and those states that were accusing other states of, of suppressing the vote actually had very low turnout.
0: You're, you're saying Republicans are apparently very bad at suppressing the vote? <laughs> I, I said exactly no, that. No, that, that if,
2: they, if they were trying no, to suppress no. the vote, they did a terrible job. In psychology, there's
1: a principle called projection in which you accuse the other side of doing something that you're probably doing yourself. Uh, It is rich that Delaware, where Joe Biden is from, has less early voting and makes it harder for people to vote than Georgia. Uh, It is curious that uh, New York has more restrictions on voting uh, through the mail and uh, absentee than does Texas. Uh, But those are the number of the states that are criticized. It's only red states. So uh, this issue is, shall we say, drenched in hypocrisy.
0: John, I want to ask you about Pennsylvania, because to the degree that I followed these issues, it seems to me that Pennsylvania is one of the states where the state really did engage in some squirrely practices that apparently were even in contravention of of state law or the state constitution. Can you talk a little bit about what happened in Pennsylvania?
1: Well, the original sin in Pennsylvania was you had a very partisan Supreme Court that literally decided that it was going to throw out... The legislature's congressional map and substitute its own, its own, even though it was a, even though it's an unelected body, that was the beginning, and then you had a series of decisions and orders which basically knocked down a lot of the safeguards that existed in Pennsylvania to prevent ballot manipulation. Uh, I mentioned earlier they were allowing ballots to be uh, delivered the Friday after the election, even without a postmark. Uh, there were other cons- other problems. So Pennsylvania is a state where uh, I think that next year when there's a new governor, uh, they're going to have a really big debate on the extent to which uh, the voter rolls have to be cleaned up, whether or not there's going to be voter ID uh, request- or demanded at the polls, and whether or not um, the safeguards that were in place before COVID will be restored.
0: Well, John, I have to tell you, um, I think that you have done a real public service by doing a, a seriously researched, detailed book about what actually happened during the election and all of these problems, because unfortunately, this debate ha- has been just so- sort of binary: either you th- either you think there was a major conspiracy to steal an election, or you think absolutely nothing was done wrong anywhere. And of course, a- a- as this discussion and as a- as your book suggests, you know the truth is somewhere in between, and we we really. Well-
1: Yes, and let's hope that we can all agree on one thing. For example, you know, election offices are public entities. And when Mark Zuckerberg and his foundation decided to give something like $450 million to election offices to supplement their efforts to get out the vote and to improve their processes, uh, that sounds like a good thing. But the people who were alerted to this because the money came late And the people who applied for it were basically people who worked in Democratic-leaning election offices in Democratic counties, whether it was Arizona or Wisconsin or Georgia. So the money was very disproportionately spent in areas where Joe Biden was going to get a large voter turnout and wanted an even larger voter turnout. That is a complete um, misallocation of uh, resources and governmental responsibility. Look, Merrill, you know you know, that government regulators uh, are supposed to be independent. Mm -hmm. What if an OSHA office in Dallas, Texas, uh, that was cracking down on some local health violations in the area, uh, were approached by a company, and the company said, you know, we really think that uh, even though we've disagreed with some of your actions regarding our company, we think your heart is in the right place, and we think you deserve more resources. Uh, so we have a foundation that will give money to the local OSHA office in Dallas so you can buy new staff and new improve, improve the offices and improve your procedures. And all you have to do is sort of change your priorities a little bit and look at some things more and look at some things less. What would we say when that happened? We would say that it was an outrageous capture of a regulatory body. Well, when Philadelphia was offered $12 million by Zuckerberg's foundation to get out the vote and basically have mobile vans that would go around collecting ballots. Uh that was in a contract that they had to sign with Zuckerberg's foundation as to how they would spend the money. So it wasn't that Zuckerberg just gave the money to Democratic leaning cities. They had to spend the money as Zuckerberg wanted it to be spent, which was get out the vote in urban areas. And the Philadelphia election budget to run the whole elections for the whole year is only 10 million. So basically Zuckerberg was offering to double it. That is an outrageous capture of our election offices. And that's why over 30 states have now declared that kind of private sector interference in our public elections is illegal.
0: John, we have a huge problem in this country with people losing confidence in institutions. And you alluded to this earlier. We are in a world of hurt if the American people, just in general, lose confidence in the integrity of elections. So again, I want to in wrapping up here, I want to thank you for doing this book. I think it's going to make a significant contribution. I can't wait to read it uh, and we'll have to get you uh, we'll have to get you back down here to Dallas someday soon so we can uh, do some in- person stuff. I would enjoy it. Thank you so much. John, thanks so much for joining us and for those of you who are listening today, thank you for joining us. We've been speaking today with John Fund, author of the new book Our Broken Elections. How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. You can find a lot more about politics and elections and regulatory capture at our website at ipi.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.